0: Well, the title of the message today is Take Up Your Cross and Follow Me, and we're going to start off in Mark chapter 8. Now, uh, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and it ushered in the Christian season of Lent. Now, not every denomination celebrates that time. We haven't as a rule in times past, but you know what? We have been... uh, kind of uh, commemorating the advent season leading up to the birth of Jesus and uh, I thought this year we would take time and kind of commemorate the Lenten season Uh, as we approach the death burial and resurrection of Jesus we will commemorate in uh, a few weeks in about 40 days as a matter of fact now uh, when it comes to Lent uh, it's customary for people to give up things for Lent. Now, I'm not promoting that. If you want to give up something for Lent, you can. God doesn't need us to show an outward sign of penance in order to be forgiven. Uh, God doesn't get excited about us denying ourselves. Although if you feel that it is a way for you to get closer to God, by all means, you know, give it a try. Uh, And as some do, instead of giving something up, try to do something positive instead. Instead of giving up candy or coffee or uh, your favorite TV show, why not do something positive? Make it a point to serve others or encourage others every day during the Lenten season. I think that that would have a a more profound effect on other people and on you. And I think that that would be more pleasing to God. But uh, just something to think about. But let's use this 40-day period in preparation leading up to the time that we commemorate Good Friday, uh, Easter Sunday, which will be coming up in, like I said, approximately 40 days. But how can we uh, prepare? How can we better prepare so that when that time comes and we commemorate those days that we're ready spiritually? We'll have a series of sermons to do that. And uh, what I want to do today is discuss something that Jesus uh, encouraged us to do. Here in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, notice what Jesus says here. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, and I know we all do, If anyone would come after me, he must, he or she must deny himself or herself and take up his cross and then go ahead and follow me. So he gives us this instruction as to what to do. To be a follower of Jesus, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him. Now he was on his way ultimately to Jerusalem where he was going to do just that. He was going to take up his cross and walk to the crucifixion, where he would pay the ultimate sacrifice for not only our sins, but the sins of the whole human race, which he did accomplish. So he is saying here that in order for us to be followers of Jesus, we have to take up our cross. What exactly does that mean? Well, we're going we're to find out as we read on. So he makes that command, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, there's the command, now he's going to give us four incentives to do just that. Notice what he goes on to say, incentive number one, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So that's the first reason why, and we're going to discuss this further, the first reason why we should deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Then the second incentive, he says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Okay, something to think about. The third incentive, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And then the final fourth incentive, he says in verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. So as Jesus approaches Jerusalem and is about to suffer his passion as it's known, his arrest, his uh, persecution, his torture, his receiving a beating, all undeserved because he did nothing to deserve it, and then finally the crucifixion, he invites us to in a way participate in that. Now don't get me wrong, Jesus and Jesus himself paid the ultimate price for our sins. We don't earn our own salvation in any way. But yet he invites us to follow in his footsteps in a way by taking up our own cross, denying ourselves and following in his footsteps. Let me ask you the question, what did the cross mean to Jesus? What did the cross mean to Jesus? You know, crucifixion was just a horrible, painful means of execution by the Roman Empire. The Jews didn't crucify anybody. It was the Romans who had that custom of executing people. So to Jesus, the cross meant hostility because the people who crucified him were certainly not in agreement with Jesus. They were hostile toward him. Not only hostility, but the cross symbolized persecution as well. Uh, He was mocked. He was ridiculed, he was made fun of on his way to the cross, as we remember the story that we read so many times. And then, of course, the cross meant suffering, Uh, not just the literal pain of being on the cross, which was certainly beyond what we would imagine a person can go through, but there was scourging taking place. There was a crown of thorns placed on his head and so on and so forth so the cross to Jesus meant hostility persecution suffering and finally death because if you were put on the cross or on the stake there's no way you were going to survive that the Romans made sure of it if you could somehow physically survive it They came along later and broke the people's legs so that you had no way of supporting yourself on the cross, and you would then certainly die a quick death. So that's what the cross meant to Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We'll hold our place there in Mark, and we'll turn now to Romans chapter 8. You know, in our lives as Christians, we end up facing some of these same things that Jesus faced as he went to the cross. And I think Jesus is warning us here and trying to prepare us that once we're called to salvation in Jesus Christ, once we make this decision to receive Jesus as our personal savior, We're going to be in line to face some of the similar things. I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, we need to take up our personal cross and follow him. Uh, We're going to face some of the same things, the hostility, the persecution, suffering and death as we're going to see, whether it be physical death or death of the old person that we've been all of our lives, there's death involved. And we have to realize, too, that once we make a commitment to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're still living in a world that is opposed to Jesus, okay? And most of the people in this world have a mind that is hostile toward Jesus, toward Christianity. Notice what Paul says here in Romans 8, beginning in verse 7. He says, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, when he was incarnated, when he grew up, began his ministry, he found a lot of hostility. He found a lot of opposition primarily from groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but others as well. So from the time He began His ministry, He was facing these things, and it of course culminated in the time of His crucifixion. And Jesus is warning us that when we take up our cross, when we follow Him, when we look to Him as our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, when we start off on this new life, He warns us. Listen. As you follow in my footsteps, you're going to face some of the same things in your life. And I want you to follow me. I'll be there with you. I'll strengthen you. But just be prepared. This Christian walk is not going to be a bed of roses for you. And just thinking from my experience, you know, when I first became a Christian, uh, I did face hostility and I faced some opposition in my life as I think I shared with uh, all of you in times past, that I was raised as a Catholic, and I was very pleased to be raised in the Catholic Church. I'm thankful to my parents for giving me that upbringing, but I had reached a point in my life, in my late teens, early 20s, where I was seeking more. I just felt that there was more to learn and more to understand. So uh, I came in contact with this particular church who really encouraged us to read our Bibles, which I didn't have a whole lot of experience doing in my upbringing in the Catholic Church. So I remember when I first got a Bible, my parents had one kind of buried away in a desk drawer someplace, and I wanted to start reading the Bible to learn more about God. So I got the Bible out and I started reading it and believe it or not I started to get a little of opposition <laughs> from my family because they thought why are you doing that why are you reading the bible the bible was kind of like the family uh, ledger it had a space in there where you know all the births were listed all the deaths were listed the weddings were listed and so on and so forth and that was pretty much all that the bible was used for but here I am now sitting turning pages, reading books of the Bible, and my family was confused. (laughs) Why are you doing that? (laughs) And I tried to explain to them that I wanted more. I wanted to understand more about God. Now, years ago, uh, as I started to attend this new church, of course, back in those days, we felt it was necessary to meet on Saturdays because we thought that God still wanted us to keep the Sabbath that he had established back in those days. Uh, We've come to see a little bit more clearly now that that's not really what he commands us to do. But uh, that brought on hostility and uh, opposition, too, because I was going to church on Saturday while the rest of my family was going to church on Sunday. And they thought it was odd and they couldn't understand it. So there were other things, too, that... uh, you know i felt were important to do but it just brought opposition and hostility uh, from the family and i'm sure several of you had uh, similar experiences in your life uh, some of them were necessary some of them we found out later were unnecessary and uh, but that just seemed to be part of the walk that we all had but you know what jesus faced hostility from the from the get-go when he began his ministry Uh, because he was upsetting the apple cart. Uh, He was coming into a society that had a fixed way of doing things, and he started to preach something a little bit different, starting from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it kind of rocked the boat in his society, the religious aspect of his society. You know, back here in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, John kind of uh, gave us an overview of the incarnation here in chapter one. We're all familiar with it, but I just want to point out a couple of scriptures to you. John chapter one, it starts off in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, talking about Jesus Christ and his pre existence before he was incarnated. But sure enough, the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus Christ was born as a baby in the town of Bethlehem. God had become one of us. He was incarnated. Here was this individual now, Jesus of Nazareth, who was fully God and fully man. And what was the response to him and his arrival? As it says in verse 5 of John 1, the light, that's who Jesus was when he came to this world, because the world was bathed in darkness and ignorance. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So here is God coming into this world, becoming one of us, and because of sin, the world is covered in darkness, ignorance, in other words, and people as a whole did not understand who he was or why he came. They didn't believe that he was truly God in the flesh. Notice he goes on to say in verses 10 and 11, He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So as I said, from the beginning of Jesus' arrival here on this earth, he faced opposition, he faced persecution, because he came to a darkened world, darkened by sin people full of suspicion doubt uh, whatever the case may be they just could not accept the fact that this was the son of God and as I said it culminated at the time of his crucifixion and Jesus is warning us here saying listen as you follow in my footsteps as you are my disciple you're going to face some of the same things expect it Because you now are a light with Jesus dwelling in you, living in, yes, still a darkened world. So persecution is going to come along. We are going to experience these same things for Jesus' sake and the gospel. Let's turn back now to Mark 8, where we were a little bit earlier. Now, I think that this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that we have to pick up our cross now sometimes Christians think well whatever I happen to be suffering personally in my life maybe my health is really bad that's my cross that I have to carry or uh, maybe I've got really bad finances and I've been struggling in, in my life with finances that's my cross well that could have something to do with it but I think that Jesus meant something more fundamental when he says take up your cross and follow me We are, in a sense, traveling the same path that Jesus traveled. We're following in his footsteps. He alone paid the price for our sins. But as we follow him, we're going to face some of the same opposition. We're going to face some of the same hostility, suffering that he went through. Now, as he said here in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34... If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does he mean by deny yourself? I don't think he means giving up chocolate for 40 days in Lent or giving up your favorite TV program. I think he means something a little bit more than that. Now don't forget, as we start to follow Jesus Christ and we start to encounter some of this opposition that he uh, faced in his life. There's going to be a part of us that is not going to want to deal with that, okay? Uh, the Bible teaches that there's an old self part of us before we come to believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as his, our Savior, an old self and a new self that we start to become once we make that decision for Christ. I think we, we all see that uh, that separation in our life. The old me versus the new me. And the Bible teaches us that we want to leave the old me behind. And we want to move forward now in our Christian walk with Jesus as the new me. As, as Jesus is changing me. And we know that that change doesn't happen instantaneously. It's a lifelong process. But it starts when we're baptized and we accept Jesus as our Savior. It's a new life. That has begun. We may not feel it fully, but it's true. A new life has begun in us. So when we hear the gospel, we repent, we're baptized, we accept Jesus as our Savior, he begins to change our nature from the old person to the new person. But you know what happens is that sometimes our former nature doesn't want to face hostility, persecution, suffering, and death because it's uncomfortable. Now, it was uncomfortable for Jesus when he went through it, and it's going to be uncomfortable for us. So sometimes, as we start to face some of these things, the old person that we've been all of our lives up to conversion says, I don't know if this is really for me, okay? And that's where Jesus says, you have to deny yourself, As that old person wants to continue living on the old way you always lived, we have to say no to the old person. And we have to move forward in our lives as the new person. The former nature that we had does not want to face hostility, persecution, suffering, and death. Instead of those things, the old person prefers, instead of persecution or instead of hostility, it wants approval. Who doesn't want to be approved of in this life? Well, we all do. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, who do we want to be approved by? This society or God? Now, Jesus, when he went through all that he went through, he didn't seek to be approved by society. He he sought to be approved by the Father. Not only does the old self prefer approval, but instead of... Hostility, persecution, we want honor. We'd like to be honored in this world, not uh, persecuted, because that's the way this society is built. Everybody seeks that sort of thing. And the old person doesn't want to deal with suffering, we want comfort. So as we start to face this opposition in our Christian life from people around us, maybe from society as a whole, we have to deny ourselves. We have to tell that old person, no, things are changing now. It is more important for me to please God. I want to be approved of by God. I want to be honored by God. God will supply the comfort I need. I don't need to get these things from the society in which I live because it's a fallen society. Their goals, the things that they hold in high esteem, are for the most part wrong in God's sight. And as the scripture told us, the sinful mind is hostile toward God. And we would certainly, you know, the old person wants safety, certainly doesn't want death. But we know the history of God's people down through the ages that many did face death because of their beliefs. So there comes a time when we start to face opposition in our Christian life that the old person says, wait a minute, (laughs) I didn't anticipate this. I didn't expect this. This is a little bit more than I can handle. And we want to draw back from our Christian calling. And Jesus said, listen, once you take up that cross, you got to follow me and you got to deny yourself. In other words, deny the old person that you were all of your life, the sinful person who starts to rear their head and say, wait a minute, uh, maybe this is wrong. Maybe let me think this over again. It's just normal for the old person to prefer approval, honor, comfort, and safety from this world. Because that's the way we always live. But you see, Jesus has called us to a new life. It's a life that is radically different from the life of this world. Okay, when you set your sights on following God, in many respects, you're going to appear different to the people around you. Now, don't do anything that brings on persecution. You know, as a Christian, don't be going around judging others. Nobody wants to be around a person like that. And don't be self-righteous because nobody wants to be around a person like that. God hasn't called us to be that way. Be humble. Be a servant to others. But even when you do that, there's going to be a certain amount of persecution that comes along. You know, as soon as you go into a workplace and people find out that you're a Christian, I mean, you're not just a talk-to-talk Christian, but you're a walk-to-walk Christian, you're going to notice that people start to treat you a little bit differently, maybe. And they feel a uncomfortable around you. Why? Because they've already convinced themselves that nobody can really be a Christian. Come on. You know, obeying God and and doing all these things that are right, uh, they feel uncomfortable. Because sometimes their conscience starts bothering them. Well, wait a minute. I convinced myself that you can't really be a Christian. And now here's a person who is a Christian and claims to be a Christian. So what do they do? A lot of times they'll be watching you <laughs> to see you slip up so that they bring that to your attention and say, oh, well, see, you're not really that great a Christian, are you? Because I saw you do this and, you know, they'll, they'll watch you. They'll, they'll, they'll put you under a microscope. Has that ever happened to you? I know it's happened to me in years past. So people tend to feel uncomfortable around you. And a certain amount of hostility and persecution will will come along. Don't do anything to bring it on. But it's going to happen, Jesus says. So we must deny the self, in other words, the old self that we used to be, and follow Jesus. And it's not an easy thing to do. It isn't. And there's not too many people doing it in this world. Notice what it says in Matthew 7, verse 13. Let's remind ourselves that when you decide to follow Jesus, when you claim Him as your Lord and Savior, which He wants you to do, you're entering into a small group of people, comparatively speaking. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So when you decide to become a Christian, you're aligning yourself with a rather small group of people, comparatively speaking, in this world. So you're going to appear to be different because you don't fit in with the crowd to a great extent. The way you live your life, the way you talk, the way you act toward others is going, to be, is going to seem to be different to a lot of people because it is. But Jesus encourages us by saying, don't worry, you're on the right path. It's a narrow path. There's not many people walking alongside of you. When you look at that other wide highway, freeway, it's crowded with people. But you know what? It's headed toward destruction. So who do you want to align yourself with? Who do you want to, uh, where do you want to find your approval? From the world where most people are finding their approval? Finding their honor, finding their comfort and safety? Or do you want to look to God? depend on his promises, obey his commands, because we're looking not just for a reward in this life, the reward that we've been promised is beyond this life. So that's why God gives us faith. That's why God gives us hope, to keep our focus on the future. And Jesus says, listen, in this life, you're going to pick up your cross and you're going to follow me. You're going to walk in my footsteps behind me. And you're going to have to suffer many of the things that I suffer. Now, in Galatians 5, verse 24, you know, to Jesus, the cross represented death. And to us, it does, too, in a certain way. When it comes to physical death, yes, many Christians have been martyred over the centuries and have literally gone to their death because of their beliefs. But in a way, we all face death. Death of who? Well, the death of that old man that we used to be or the old woman. Paul says to the Galatian church in chapter five, verse 24, he says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. So when we become a Christian and we start this new life, we, in a sense, put that old life to death because it was involved with sin, it was involved in wrong thinking, wrong acting, wrong motives. The old man, the sinful person that we used to be, that's what we put to death. And like I said, it's a lifelong process. It doesn't happen overnight or in one day. We we crucify that old person with all the sins. We bury it. But, you know, sometimes that old person wants to come out of the grave and start living his life anew in us. And we have to deny. We have to say, no, I'm done with that way of life. Jesus Christ paid the price for it. He went to the cross for it. And I just want to leave it behind. That's my past. That's my past. And now I'm living a new life. And sometimes as a Christian, you know, if you see some friends that you haven't seen for many years since you've become a Christian, they see you and they think, oh, you're different. (laughs) You don't want to go out and do the things we used to do and get into trouble and go out and get drunk and get bombed and, and this and that. You're different. Well, yeah. I don't think of it in a self-righteous way, but yes, God is changing me and uh, I appreciate you saying that because it encourages me. I am a new person and we have to crucify the old person along with all the sins that were committed in that old life. We're being transformed by the Holy Spirit, he's bringing about the changes in our life, but we participate. We participate in that by allowing it to happen, by keeping the old man in the grave, by denying ourselves and the desires of the old person. That's the change that comes about in us. Now back here to uh, Mark, let's see these incentives that he gave us. We'll look at these quickly here. Mark chapter 8, because Jesus not only gave us the command, but he gave us reasons to want to do that to want to deny ourselves, to want to pick up our cross and follow him. And notice the uh, reasons that he gives here. Again, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, verse 35 of Mark 8. Here's the first one. This is why you should do it, Jesus said. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. So in other words, if we prefer approval, honor, comfort, safety in this age and in this sinful society, we're going to miss out on eternal life with God. So if we want to save our life in this age and continue living the way we had always been living before we were called to... uh, Christianity, we're going to lose out on the future life. That's the life we're going to lose out on. And that's why in Acts, remember on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was giving that sermon, he warned the people that he was preaching to in Jerusalem on that day, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Don't align yourself with this world and with this society, because for the most part, it's all wrong you got to come out of this society. you got to be different. you got to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Pick up your cross and follow him. And if you do that, you will have that future life, that eternal life. So don't save the fallen, sinful life that we've been living all of our lives. Deny it. Lose that old, sinful life. And if you do, you're going to save that eternal life with God. So that's the first reason why we should do it. The second reason, verse 36, He says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? In other words, what what does it profit to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? It's a rhetorical question. It's unanswered. He wants you to fill in the answer. What does it profit to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Well, the answer is nothing. It profits nothing to gain this whole world today and to lose your opportunity for eternal life with God. So that's the second reason Jesus says, follow my command. (laughs) Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. The third reason he gives in verse 37, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And again, a rhetorical question. The answer is Nothing, nothing. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are in this society. When it comes to the time of judgment and which way you're going to go for eternity, your money has no bearing on that. Remember the other week we read the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. We talked about how they both died. Lazarus was a poor person, but a godly person. And the rich man didn't have anything to do with God. So they both died. They both ended up in Hades, in two separate sections of Hades. Lazarus was in the, the section called Paradise. He was in Abraham's bosom. He was hanging out with Abraham and the, the patriarchs there, at least his spirit was. And while he was there, the rich man ended up in the other section of Hades. And the rich man looked across the way and was speaking to Lazarus, and there was a great divide between the two of them, a divide that could not be crossed. So here's this rich man who ended up after death in Hades, the place, the realm of the dead, and you know what? There was nothing he could do to get across the great divide to where Lazarus was, hanging out with Abraham. With all the money that he had, he could not buy his way from where he was to where he wanted to be. And it's going to be the same thing in the, in the judgment. You know, we have a lot of people in the world today, a lot of people in our country, who are multi, multi-billionaires, who have not just tens of billions of dollars, but hundreds of billions of dollars. And when the time of judgment comes, nothing that they possess is going to be able to get them to the place of God's reward. You know, in this age, they had not only money, but they had profound influence. They had political clout. They had whatever in this society. But when it comes to to the time of judgment, as Jesus says here, what can you give in exchange for your soul? And the answer is nothing. You know, they're going to come and say, well, you know, I've got all this money that I've amassed. They're, they're so used to buying their way, buying people, buying businesses. The Lord's going to say, sorry, your money's no good here. So that's another incentive why we should take up our cross and follow. And the fourth reason here in verse 38 He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. Ashamed means you don't want to be identified with a person or their words because it will make you appear foolish or stupid or weak. So to be ashamed of Jesus means you don't want to be identified with him. Because you prefer the approval of the adulterous and sinful generation rather than the approval of God. And so many people do today. And Jesus said, if that's the approach that you take, if you're offended in Him, you don't want to be associated with Him because you're worried about your reputation and what people think of you. And you don't want to be persecuted or ridiculed or made fun of behind your back. Jesus said, if you do that, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. None of us want that to happen to us. So we're not going to be ashamed of Jesus, even though it means persecution, hostility, suffering, and maybe even death. So as we prepare for the Easter season, if you will, Good Friday, the death of Jesus, burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Let's take these 40 days, this time of Lent, and reflect on some of this, as to where we stand with our calling, who Jesus is to us. And uh, he encourages us here that it's not gonna be easy to follow him. Jesus did not walk a pleasant path throughout all of his life, especially his earthly ministry. But he was willing to suffer what he needed to suffer for our sake. Okay? Now, he holds out a tremendous reward to us, a reward of eternal life that our minds can't even wrap wrap ourselves around. We can't even, you know, understand what it's going to be like. It's going to be great. It's going to be beyond our wildest imagination. It's going to be wonderful, and it's going to last for eternity. And it's going to be with God. And Jesus said, you know, I'm pleased that you have made the decision to walk this path. You need to pick up your cross if you haven't realized it now, because it's going to uh, involve some difficulties. But don't be dismayed. Keep your eyes on the goal. Follow in my footsteps. Deny your old self. Let the new self uh, live in your life, led by the Holy Spirit, and you will be there with me. I guarantee it, he says. So let's consider that. And we'll have a few more sermons along these lines in the weeks ahead as we prepare for uh, this special time of the year. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of encouragement today. And it's a sobering word. When we took up this calling, when we came to hear the gospel and responded to it and realized that we were sinners and we needed a savior and we chose Jesus Christ to be our Savior, maybe we did, maybe we didn't understand what we're getting ourselves into. But Father, we know through it all, you're with us. You encourage us. It's not just us alone, but we're in it as a group. And not just this congregation, but the whole body of Christ worldwide. We look forward to the tremendous blessings you have for us, not just in this life, but especially in the future and our eternal reward with you. We look forward to it. And Father, in the meantime, we just pray your help, your strength, your inspiration that we get through it day by day. And we know that we will because you're there with us. So thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.